That is what our desire is this morning as we come into the presence of God, as we look into his word to hide ourselves in him and be transformed by him. Thank you, worship team, for preparing us for worship this morning. Orangewood, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be able to worship with you. And uh, oh, kids, it's good to have you with us. And I know you're glad to stay in here with us. I just wonder how many parents are going out and getting the kids bulletins. That's all I want to know. Uh, but uh, we are going to be looking into God's word in our series that we are doing together, experiencing awesome as we have come to experience the God who is, the God who always was, and the God who is to come as we experience him. He changes our lives. And this is a series in uh, uh, what we might call systematic theology. We take the whole Bible seriously, and so we're looking at all of the Bible and what all of the Bible says about God. Rather than working through one particular book of the Bible, we're looking at many different verses of the Bible because we want to know him. Like Paul said in Philippians, remember we studied Philippians, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul didn't want to just know more intellectual, academic, biblically based facts about God. He wanted to know him. Gnosis and epignosis. He wanted to experience God. And that's what I want at my time in life. I hope you want that too. Not just to know more uh, facts about God. By the way, you know this, don't you? That God has more than a passing interest in your life. He knows a lot of facts about you. He knows what color your hair is. How your hair has changed. Like, or disappeared. He knows the color of your eyes. He knows what you're going through. He knows everything about you. And he doesn't want to just know about you because he knows everything about you. He wants to experience you and you to experience him. And that's what we're about in this series. And before we look more at God so that we can learn to experience him more, let's talk to him. Let's bow our heads and hearts in prayer. Our great God, we do come into your presence today and So thankful for our worship team that's led us into worship, that's prepared us to understand that you are indescribable and uncontainable and absolutely amazing. We come into your presence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we recognize that you are the untamable God. Forgive us for the times that we have tried to tame you. Father, you are the God who is infinite, Forgive us for when we try to make you fit into our finite goals and objectives. You are the God who is all-powerful. Forgive us, Father, for those times that we want to harness your power just for our, our selfish goals. Lord, you know us, and we come before you. We honor you today. Jesus, we thank you for being the eternal Son of God who came in human flesh, walked among us, taught us, took our curse for us. Holy Spirit, thank you for taking the work of Christ. And when we were least expecting it, when we least desired it, you gave us life. You made us aware. You brought us to the end of ourselves and to the beginning of life in Christ. You gave us the ability to believe and you hold us close to the Father today. And so we come into your presence. Lord, you know every one of us in this room. You know, every fear, every failure today, this week, you know our hearts, you know, you, you know the ones that are, 
struggling with bitterness, the ones that have hopes and dreams that have been dashed. Lord, you know, you know, financial problems, the bills that need to be paid, you know, everything about us, you know, the health reports. And so Lord, we come to you right now because to go to anybody else is foolish. Come to you with those needs. And we pray that you would meet us, show us who you are in a deeper way in our heads, and then take that truth into our hearts so that we might experience you. And then may we live it out this week so that we wouldn't just know more about you, but that we would experience you who are awesome, the only God. And we come to you today to know more about you, that we could experience you and worship you. And so we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins. Use one who's finite to communicate your infinite truth. For today, we have come to see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want you to know, some of you do, some of you don't. I was born and raised in Southern California. And uh, by high school, a lot of us thought we were really cool. I mean, everybody in Southern California thinks they're cool. You know that, don't, don't you? They think they're cool. Most of my friends had the right kind of hair, which was the surfer hair, layered, cut, layered. And those were the idiots, friends of mine who would go to the beach at, before school and sit in freezing water and surf so they could come and say, I'm cool. There's a lot of cool people. And your kids today, cool is still, by the way, a, a, a cool word. To, we use cool today, can't we? Yeah, we still use that. Uh, you know, your kids are probably saying different things. Uh, that, that's lit, that's dope, uh, that's Gucci. They're saying things, not your kids, other kids saying things like that. Cool is still cool to say, and, but we were cool. We were cool. We thought we were cool. And, um, and so at the end of the year, when the yearbook thing took place, you know, the yearbook signing, do they still do that? They still give yearbooks? I don't know. In the time of the Apostle Paul, when we gave yearbooks out at the end of the school year, we would sign. We'd sign in the yearbooks, you know, at the end of the year. We'd, we'd, and we would say something like this because we thought we were cool. Have a nice summer. Never change. Have a nice summer. Never change. That was one of the coolest lines. I wrote it several times. I don't know if I ever got it back, but I wrote it several times. And, uh, and so we thought we were cool, but the idea of change. And of course, what did we do over the summer when it came to change? Did we change? Of course we changed. We were in high school. We're changing all the time. We're flexing to everything that was going on around us. We're picking up new ideas, doing things. We should, we're changing in ways we shouldn't have changed, but we were changing because to, to be human is to change. That's just a reality. That's what we do. And can you imagine anybody else that needs anything else more than change than high school students? Sorry if you are that. But, but I mean, we are, we're self-absorbed. We're insecure. Our complexion is not always what it should be. There's all kinds of change that takes place. Let's talk about change for a minute. How many of you, let's take a poll, how many of you really like change? Because some people like change. If you like change, raise your hand. Okay, some of you like change. How many of you don't like change? Yeah, see, look at that. That's the reality. Most of us don't like change. I like change. I get bored easily, so I like some change. Uh, but a lot of people don't like change at all. As a matter of fact, someone said that men marry women hoping they will never change, and they do. And women marry men hoping they will change, and they don't. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just that's a reality. I, I have never had a couple in my office who needed marriage counseling 
where in the case of both of them, there was change needed. It isn't contrary, ladies. This is true that men most of the time were the problem, but not always. Well, yes, we are, but so are you. I mean, sin is 100%. It hits both genders. We all need to change. The reality is, is that we can't change as much as we'd like to think that we can change. I was driving the other day, and I saw a bumper sticker. Bumper sticker said, evolve on the back of it. You've seen that? Evolve. And uh, i got to be careful because a lot of bumper stickers that I've quoted in sermons, I've had people come up to me afterwards and say, uh, mostly my kids, Dad, that's a rock band. It's a band. It's about. I don't know if Evolve is a band. So if it, I don't know. I don't know what, but it was, it was a young lady. She had Evolve on it. I don't know if she was saying, get better, grow up. I don't know if she was making a statement about the male gender or not. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if she was saying, get on the right side of political views. The political views that are right are my political views. I don't know. I don't know if she was saying, change um, physiologically. I don't know. I don't know if she was making a statement about materialistic, naturalistic evolution or not. I don't know. I've never seen it happen, uh, and it's still a theory. I don't know. But what I do know is, is that people do change a lot. But typically speaking, people don't change well for the better. As a matter of fact, the, the teaching of the New Testament tells us that because sin has come into the world, we are totally depraved. I like to say that to my kids and grandkids. Uh, uh, you should hear my kids, my grandkids singing on the way to church today. It was fun. I, I got the video. It was great. My, anyway, they're cool. <laughs> uh, but there's total depravity in the back seat, all three of them right there. And then mom and dad in the front seat, total depravity right there. We don't change as much as we would like to change. And the Bible tells us that the reality is, is that we can only change within a certain parameter set. It's because we're fallen creatures, we can only change according to our ability. And our ability to change is not very great. My first internship series was with a pastor that I grew up with. He was my grew up with this good Bible teaching pastor. I get to go to lunch with him, suit and tie. I'm sitting with him and he's a great guy. And he was talking with one of his other staff members and I was there. I was there. It's just crazy. And he made this statement. He goes, people never change. And I was like, it's like my first year of college. And he's, he's been a pastor for since Paul's time. And he believes people don't change. I said, why do we teach the gospel? And now that I've been a pastor for a long time, I know that people don't typically change really well. They only change within the capacity uh, of their ability. I got a text a couple of Saturdays ago when a good friend of mine said that a younger friend of ours died. This guy, this guy was significantly younger than me, and, uh, and he had died. He was, he was an athlete at UCF. He was a good-looking guy, got great into business, and then the economy went bad, and he started drinking, and, I, and my friend said, he, I died. how did he die? He said, well, two bottles of wine a day, I'll do it to you. See, I've seen more people devolve in my life than evolve. There's more devolution than evolution. As a matter of fact, when you look around at people, what, what, is, what is really true is that you can get old and never grow up. And then you get older and you become, you come apart physically. <laughs> it's interesting. But spiritually, 
as well, because the Bible says we're dead. And so how do we change? How do we become radically different people for the better? We're going to talk about that at the very end. But I want you to know right now, what's important for us to grasp is that when we think of human nature, change is what we do, usually not for the better. The, the vocabulary for change is rich, uh, evolve, vary, alter, switch, fluctuate, warp, shift, modify, transform, metamorphose. People are changeable. People are mutable. It's what we do, usually not for the better. And certainly we don't get for the better by ourselves. Now, in contrast to that, change is something God does not do. God cannot do. God cannot change. And if we understand that he is unchangeable, immutable, if we understand that and we, and we apply it into our lives and we begin to experience it, it will change us from the inside out. It'll radicalize our walk with Christ. So I want to tell you where uh, how we can understand God's immutability, God unchanging. And when we understand that, I want to then wrap it up uh, with three applications. So I've got three points about God's immutability, how God is, and then three applications. This is a six-point sermon. Are you ready for that? All right, here we go. First of all, I want you to note that God is unchangeable in his being. God is unchangeable in his essential being. And I want to go back to a passage of scripture that we've read before in Exodus 3. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Let's say that together. I am who I am. And so that's a present tense, present active, indicative. It's, it's in the Hebrew, I know. But, it, but the reality is, it's, it's, that's who I am. God is. His name is who he is. He's self-existent. And as self-existent, he is unchangeable in his being. He's infinite. Uh, and so the I am has three elements. I'm self-existent, God says. And therefore, I'm omnipotent. I'm infinite. I'm immense. And I am omnipresent. We talked about those in the past weeks. In his being, God is all of those things. His omnipresence, we said, has to do with space. He fills all of space. I hope you went out of here last week realizing and living within the reality that God fills your space. And you can walk to him, run to him, trust him at any time. But the reality is when we think of God in relationship to time, as we understand time, then God is immutable. He doesn't change. He can't change in his being. He's not in process. Some of you maybe heard about a thing called process theology. It's a newer way of thinking about God. Open theism is another way that interacts with all that for those of you who are theologically minded. But the idea is that God is in process. God is not in process. He is perfect. A.W. Pink said he's perfect in every way. How can you improve on him uh, of perfection? You can't. So God in his essence, in his being is not in process. When I was younger, um, uh, I, People would say, hey, how's Pete doing? How's Alwinson doing? And they'd say, well, he's a working. He's a working. Did you ever have that said about you? I, I used to hate it when, as a young pastor, they come up and they say, you know, your sermons are getting a little better. <laughs> Translations. 
Your sermons weren't good. They're getting a little bit better. Stick at it. Stay at it. But the fact of the matter, and you know, that's so offensive to young preachers, but is it true? Everybody's nod your head. Of course it's true. You want to hear bad sermons? Go to seminary. I was a homiletics professor. I've heard the worst. Can I, can I be honest with you? And this is, I fell asleep once listening to a student sermon at two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. Not for long. But it was after a lunch, and a heavy business lunch, and a heavy meal, and I was listening. I fell asleep because it was bad. <laughs> We're all in process, but God is not in process. He's not becoming better than he used to be. It's impossible for him to do that. He can't change. He's not a work in pro- progress. And so God cannot, in his, in, in, in his being, be improved. He cannot improve himself. He's immutable. He's unchanging. Now, because he's unchanging in his being, he's therefore also, logically, unchanging in his character, right? As we think of who he is, then we think of how he relates. Well, God is unchanging in the way he relates, in his character, his attributes, which we're studying here. Balakai 3, 6 puts it so well. I love this. It, it proves the point that I'm trying to make here. Malachi 3, 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. I don't change in relationship to you. But you, Israelites, my children whom I love and I've called and I've uh, I've called to be my covenant children in the covenant of grace, I love you, but you're a mess. And I should write you off. But because I don't change, my love for you stays consistent. Uh, I, I will never change to you. God is loving and gracious and merciful and kind and patient, and he cannot not be those things. And he cannot not be those things toward you and toward me. We repent, God doesn't. I'm going to talk to you a verse about that in just a minute. God's character cannot change. In the way he relates to you over the course of your lifetime, he cannot change toward you. His love cannot diminish because God cannot diminish toward you in any way. I've had a whole lot of people say to me over the years, this has kind of been one of those surprising things I've heard as a pastor. I've heard several people say to me, do you believe in deathbed conversions? And I said, of course I believe in deathbed conversions. I believe that someone cannot follow Jesus and then come to Christ at the very last minute. And And I've had so many people say to me, that's unfair. That's so unfair. Here I am living my whole life for Jesus. And then this sucker who I know is in the hospital and you lead him to Christ. That ticks me off. It's unfair. (laughs) I say, but God is gracious and he cannot not be gracious. By the way, it's not up to you, dude. I mean, the reality is, the reality is God never changes. He's gracious. And that means he loves those who are unlovable and he redeems those who otherwise shouldn't be redeemed. Absolutely stunning. If you think that God, the God of the Old Testament is way different from the God of the New Testament, that the God of the Old Testament is harsh and judgmental and, uh, and, 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 and the God of anger and that the God of the New Testament is loving and kind, gentle, Jesus, meek and mild. You haven't read the Bible. You know what ticks me off about the prophets? 
The prophets are long. You know how many books there are? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Mike, Nahum, So many of them. And God is so patient with those people. Why? Because he's gracious and he's loving and he's patient. And he puts up with them over and over and over. That's what ticked Jonah off. You understand that, don't you? What ticked Jonah off is why he didn't want to go to Nineveh is that he knew that if he went to Nineveh and preached conversion and repentance, they would convert, and they would repent. He really thought they would and that God would then forgive him because he knew God. Why? Because God is gracious and forgiving. And that ticked Jonah off. Jonah was a Presbyterian. I want you to know. He likes the... He likes anger. He likes wrath. He likes to teach all that stuff. Uh, God never changes, though. <laughs> Steve Brown told me uh, told the story in his latest newsletter about a businessman who was interviewing applicants for a job, and, and he had one simple question for them: "What is two plus two? And uh, he got a variety of answers. One said, "I don't know, but I'm glad for the opportunity to discuss it." Uh, the second guy got out his slide rule. This is an old illustration. Got out his slide rule cell. Two plus two, uh, it's somewhere between 3.0000 and 4.091. A lawyer he interviewed asked the same question. He, he referenced case law where two plus two had proven in the past to be four. But then he went to the accountant. He asked the same question. The accountant looked around, shut the window, shut the door, came over and said, how much do you want two plus two to be? <laughs> He got the job, I want you to know. Because God is immutable and unchanging in his essence, therefore he can't change in his character. And a lot of times the way we relate to the God of the universe is we're trying to change his mind. Does God answer prayer? Yes. Does he hear our prayers? Yes. Will he do something unethical that you ask him to do? No. Why? Because he's unchangeable in his character. Why do we try to manipulate God? Why do we trade? Why? Because my plan is better, right? Your plan is no. I, God's immutable; He doesn't change. Um, the most rational thing in the world is to flex to God, because God in His character is not going to flex to us. And aren't you glad? Yeah. By the way, Jesus is immutable. Hebrews 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. And then he says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Then he says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Why not follow anybody other than Jesus? Because Jesus never changes, because Jesus is the divine son of God and completely completely trusted uh, in our lives. All right, you're, you're getting this. You get the clarity. God never changes in essence. Therefore, he'll never change in his character toward you or me. Never, never. He's not going to not love you. He's not going to ever be unmerciful or be unmerciful to you. He'll never change toward you because of Christ. And then thirdly, I want you to know that God will never change in his word. I love this. Uh, because God is immutable, unchanging in his, in his essence and in his character, then his word, the Bible, will never change. It can't change. Uh, Psalm 33, 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. 
The word of God never changes. The counsel of God never changes. The Bible never changes because God never changes. The playbook, what God is doing, never changes. Creation, fall, promise of redemption, redemption accomplished in Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ, where the consummation of all things will take place, it will happen. Because God never changes. And he never gets distracted. And he never gets bored. He carries out his word. Someone said, well, but there are some places in the Bible that make it sound like God changes. Genesis 6, 6. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. It says, and sometimes that word is translated it, God repented that he had made man. How do you understand that? If you say God never changes, how do you see this idea that God says he repented that he made man? This does not mean that God changes. It means that God is using human language to communicate that he has emotions and that God can be grieved. Now, let me ask you this. Is God grieved in the same way you and I are grieved? Because every one of us have said, I wish I had never done that. How many of you have done that? I have. I wish I'd never done that. Wish I'd never said that. Yeah. God may grieve, but he never looks back and say, ah, I wish I hadn't have done that. Why? Because God is perfect in every way. His plans stand. And, uh, and it's important for us to understand. Numbers 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? 1 Samuel 15, 29. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he's not a man, that he should have regret. Does God have emotions? Yes, but not human emotions like you and I have, not fallen emotions like we have. It's important for us to understand that God is immutable. One theologian put it this way, do not, do not confuse God's immutability with his immobility. God doesn't change in his essence or his character or, or his word, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't seem that, that God's not active. God's very active. He's here now in our lives. He's not immobile. He's not paralyzed. He's dealing with very mobile and messed up sinners like us who are always erratic and always changing. All right, what's the good, what's the good of this? How does this apply to our lives? I've been told, I was told just before I came in here today that the uh, World uh, Cup soccer match starts at 11. So one of your members sitting in the dark corner over there, I won't mention his name, told me, Matt told me uh, that I <laughs> needed to be done by 11 o'clock. I'll be done by 11 o'clock, but I got three more points. They're all application. Why? Because this is great news that God is immutable. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. This is great news. The first benefit of this, the first application that we need to take away in order that we experience awesome, experience the awesomeness of God, is that finally, because God is immutable, you have someone you can trust. I mean, really trust, finally. You've got a person who will never change in his essence, his character, or his word, or her word toward you. You have that person. This is God. And you finally have somebody that you can trust with all of your life from beginning to end. And I realized the other day uh, that I, I, I'm, I'm not a big trust. I like people, but I don't trust really well. I struggle with that. 
You know, I, I, and, and it's part of my story. I mean, you know, my parents divorced when I was 10, and I, I, was, I kind of figured, had to figure life out. I trust, I trust a few people close to me, but I struggle with this. But I've learned to trust him because he never changes. Completely reliable. The most rational thing in the world is for us to learn to experience the awesomeness of God's immutability so that we learn to trust at a deep, 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 deep level in our lives. And a lot of Christians never really get there. I, I, I speak on the road and people say, I, I say, so are you a Christian? If I'm talking to them, they go, I, yeah, I, so you know Jesus. Yeah, you're going to heaven. I think so. Really? Trust at a deep level. Howard Hendricks uh, told pastors this way uh, in terms of teaching pastors how to uh, manage their staff. He said, you need to manage your staff by saying, uh, by understanding that you get what you inspect, not what you expect. Because pastors oftentimes expect when somebody says they're going to do something, they'll do it. Let me ask you this. Don't raise your hand on this, please. Have you ever not done something that you said you would do in the church? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to see it. So have I. I'm, I, I need to be held accountable. I need to hold people accountable. You know, in the church, I struggled. My staff struggled with this when I'd ask them, you know, and I'd have a list. Chuck Green held me accountable. He's a church planner. He was great on the list, wasn't he? I love that. Didn't always like it. But I need to be held accountable because I'm a human being and I'm mutable. I'm changeable. But God, God is not changeable and I can trust him. The most rational thing in the world is to trust God. The most, the, the most irrational thing to do is to trust human government over God. The most irrational thing to do is to trust human authors over God. When, when somebody tells me they read a good book, I say, who wrote it? And, and they always say, I don't know who wrote it. And they say, well, how why are you telling me about a good book if you can't tell me who wrote it? Because a human author means a lot, doesn't it? I want to know his agenda. <laughs> Every human being has an agenda. From frequent flyer miles, I ordered, uh, I got a few magazines free, and so I ordered the New Yorker magazine. A friend of mine said, hey, you know, that's a liberal magazine. I said, oh, it's a liberal magazine. I'm to the right of, of Attila the Hun. But the reality is I want to hear what they're saying. I, want, I know their agenda. I know my agenda. Do I trust people? Not like I trust God. Let me ask you this. Why do we get so disappointed in people? Why, why do we sometimes go, I'm never going to church again. You wouldn't believe what so-and-so said to me. You wouldn't believe what they did or didn't do. Why do we get so ticked off at people in the church? Look around you. Would you trust the person sitting down the row? You guys are good looking, handsome, um, beautiful, talented, broken sinners. You're not fully trustworthy. <laughs> Church growth experts tell, I love you, by the way. I say that in love. I'm not fully trustworthy. Church growth experts tell us that there are the people around, as they interview the people that are not going to church, there are a lot of people who are in the category of nuns and duns. Nuns and duns. Nuns are those that don't go to church, have no church home. People who are duns are people who've been hurt by other people. 
and they're done with church. They're just done. They're done for various reasons, but a lot of people, you would not believe the number of people say, I'm not going to church, but I'm never going to church again. There's, there's filth, there's filth, they're bad people over there. Yes, and what's your point? This is a hospital, isn't it? If you're coming here looking for perfect people, you've come to the wrong place. You come to my family looking for perfect people, you've come to the wrong place. Now, my family's better than your family, but I want you to know, we're sinners. And, and I, I think that's why, it's partly temperamental, but partly why I'm, I'll probably never be a dun, because I expect sin in churches. I expect Christians to say stupid things, mean things. I've heard more mean things from Christians than from non-Christians. That's why in Galatians 5 it says, uh, you were called for freedom, but don't turn your freedom into an opportunity of the flesh. Turn it into an opportunity to serve one another and love one another. And we need that in the body of Christ, don't we? I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't love each other. And it's okay to, because we're all mean, it's okay to say mean things. But listen, I, the reality is, 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 is that in the church of Jesus Christ, there are, we're not perfect. So we don't have to trust each other like we should trust God. We should love each other as though we love imperfect people and expect imperfection. Tis so sweet. I say that like a guy, not, not, a, not a girl. Uh, women use that word sweet different than guys do. Guys go, that's sweet. It is sweet to trust in Jesus. He's your ultimate hope because he's unchanging and he's always good and his word never changes. Second, shorter, quicker. The gospel never changes. So your identity and your destiny is set and they never change. You see, if God never changes, then your identity and your destiny is set. And those are the two biggest things, frankly, that we struggle over, our identity and our destiny. Who am I? Where am I going? Who am I? Where am I going? Almost every day of the week, we struggle with who am I? We're always trying to prove our identity, that we're somebody, that we're worthy. Uh, and where am I going? And what's going to happen to me? Those are the things we worry about all the time. But God says that in the gospel, if we embrace Christ, as it says in Galatians, that, that God is our father, we cry out to him, Abba, Father. Because God is unchanging. What will never change about you in all time and eternity is your identity and your destiny. Men, you are deeply beloved, redeemed sons of the Most High God. Ladies, you are precious, redeemed daughters. And your destiny is set. He has you in his care. He will protect you. Boy, you could, you could build a life on that. Doesn't that give confidence? I, I, I have a friend who, who is probably my age, um, maybe younger. And, his, and, and the other day we were talking, he said, you know, you know, my dad always said to me, he said to me, Dan, why are you so stupid? He's my age and he's processing that for the first time right now. Hey, what is he wrestling with? His identity. Who am I? And we started talking about identity in Christ. And he gets that. He gets that, but he still has to process it. Some of you know that you are forgiven, that you are beloved, but you forget your identity. Don't forget your identity. 
Because your identity and your destiny are wrapped up together and God cannot change toward you and he will not change for you. And then lastly, because God is unchangeable, not only can we trust him and, and, and do we understand that our identity and our destiny is set, but we can become, we can grow up. We can become consistent people like he is consistent. We can grow in our character all our lives. Here's something I catch myself on every once in a while. It's a function of age. I'm about ready to say something. And I say, if I say that, my son is going to say, that's an old man talking right there. And of course, I'm 25 up here. You know, you know, the reality is that a lot of us level out in our spiritual growth. That we don't keep growing until we get home. And I want to keep growing until I get home. I want to become more consistent, not less consistent. I want to love Jesus more. I want to experience him, not just know more about him. I want my character to get more like him. Not because I have to. I'm accepted. If I don't grow anymore, that's okay. I'm still going home. But I don't want to level out. I don't want him to say, when I finally die, that was cool. It was time. I want want to get more consistent. We can't. Because see, the more we hang out with a God who is self-existent, omnipotent, uh, immense, omnipresent, and infinite, and unchangeable, the more we spend time with him, focusing upon him, the more we are changed by him. That change is unavoidable. 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. So what I want for you is what I want for me this week. Same thing. I want to go home. I want to make sure that I am mulling over these awesome truths of our awesome God. And letting them take over my conscious thinking so that the glory of the Lord transforms, builds me into more of a consistent man. The more we behold glory, the more we move into awesomeness, not merely as a head thing but a whole life thing, a heart thing. I want that for all of us. You take it to heart. So will I. Let's pray. It is entirely possible that you could be here for the first time or for the 10th time and never have yet put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Because really the the most rational, the most logical, the most powerful thing you could do for your life is to uh, to come to the end of yourself and come to the God who is and the God who professes love and, and, and come to him. And in a sense, open up your hands and say, I, I can't make life work the way I want it to work. 
I, I, I know I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself. I can't make myself better. And I need help. And if you're that person today, I want you to know that in the gospel, Jesus came saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. But if, but if you come to him, to Jesus, you can find new life. The immutable, unchangeable God of the universe then becomes your father. How do you do it? Well, it's pretty simple. It's saying, I need a savior. It's saying, I'm a sinner. God, I'm a sinner. I know there are other sinners in this room, but I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And, and Jesus is the only one. And I trust him. Trust in him alone. Those who believe in him will not be disappointed, the Apostle Paul said. We know that the Bible says that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, and that life begins now as the unchangeable God whom you can trust will move into your life. So as we sing the last song, I think maybe your, your praying ought to be, Lord, I receive you right now. Jesus, come into my life and turn me into a daughter. Turn me into a son and bring your sovereign power. Bring your power into my life. Turn me around. I trust in you. Father, I thank you for Orangewood Church, for all those here. And and I, I thank you for their friendship, their fellowship in the gospel. Thank you that, Lord, this is not a, a fake church. It's a real church that we're, we're all seeking to follow you. And I pray that, that, Lord, we would know not just things about you, but this week you would take us that next step into experiencing you, finding deep joy and transformation because what we know about you is becoming real to us more and more and more. We pray these things because you are the great God of the universe in whose name we pray. Amen.